0: Thank you for listening in to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. Our current sermon series is from the book of 1 Corinthians. For more information, visit our website at cumberlandcornerstone.org. Turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As we're turning there, I mentioned this Wednesday night and should have been telling you or having it on the prayer list, but uh, we have a good relationship with Dr. Kroll. Dr. Kroll is supposed to be coming in the end of July. I'm not sure uh, if he will or not. He had his hip replaced uh, a couple of weeks ago and he had a fall last week uh, and has uh, hurt himself uh, with not necessarily with that hip. But he, he's in a lot of pain right now and they're not really sure what's going on. So just be I'm sure you'd appreciate your prayers for him as he recovers from this. And, uh, and we just love Dr. Kroll and we hope he can be with us in the end of July, uh, but we'll see how that goes. First Corinthians chapter 10, as we think about a consistent walk and we kind of bring this whole discussion on Christian liberties in a sense to an end. Uh, we'll sure talk more about it as we continue to go forward in the book but to follow along as we pick it up in verse 23 and go through chapter 11, verse 1. It says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness." If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of one who told you. And for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? Conscience. But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jew or to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men and all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ as Paul comes to the end of this section he sums up for us really what he has been saying specifically about Christian liberty he makes specific application to the the problem at hand and he is going to crystallize it into a philosophy by which you and I can live And uh, it's always good for us to see this brought down to very practical application. And I think that what Paul is going to do for us here in the end of chapter 10 and into the first verse of chapter 11 is to bring this down into a philosophy to live by, bring this down into practical Christian living as believers. How do we deal with Christian liberty? Well, here, let me help you, Paul says. How do we deal with with a, a consistent walk? Here, here is how it's done. If you remember, the, Christ, the Corinthians had asked a question, is it lawful, is it okay, do we have the liberty to eat meat that had been offered to idols? And we've been consistently reminding you that's not our issue for today. We don't have to worry about that for the most part. We don't even deal with that issue. But that brings us to all other kind of Christian liberty issues. Do I have the right to do this? Do I have the right to do that? Do I have, can I go here? Can I do that? And Paul has taken that question and he has developed for us a number of ramifications. If you do do, if you do exercise your Christian liberty, be careful here. If if you do exercise your Christian liberty, be careful about this. And he then has related it to the larger question about developing a consistent walk with Christ. Because, folks, that's the most important thing. It should not be, what can I get away with? What do I have the freedom to do? What, what can I do? And, and, you know, without sinning, it should be, how can I walk consistently with the Lord Jesus Christ? What should I or shouldn't I do in my life that, that, that would please the Lord? And even as we were reading down through that passage, a lot of times we grab verse 31 and, you know, we quote that. We know that verse. Have you ever considered the context of what that verse is in? It deals with Christian liberty. It deals with a consistent walk with the Lord. And so the question that we want to look at this morning might not be this. Do I have the liberty to do something? You know, do I have the liberty to do this? Do I have the liberty to do that? Do I have the liberty to do some of these questionable things that, you know, that Christians uh, wonder about and ponder because they're not specifically talked about in Scripture, but sometimes we kind of think they're almost wrong. Do we have the liberty to do that? Paul says, you know what? That really isn't the question. The question isn't, do I have the liberty? Can I do that? The question really should be this, through my choices, am I developing a lifestyle that is consistent with my profession of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? It's not what can I do, it's really are the things I am doing consistent with my stand as a believer in Christ? Am I pleasing to him? Paul has specifically warned the Corinthians of the possible dangers that may be involved in exercising their Christian liberty, specifically when it came to me eating meat offered by idols. Last week, we saw in verses 14 through 22 that some of the Corinthians actually went so far as to say, you know what, it's okay for me even to eat meat in an idol's temple itself, to go to a pagan festival where everybody around me is celebrating this idol. I can still eat the meat and not worry about it. And Paul says that's foolish because when you go to that that temple and when you sit down and, and fellowship with everybody else who is worshiping this idol, in a sense, you are identifying with them and you are worshiping the idol as well, even though in your heart you're saying, I'm not. Paul says, don't be foolish about that. That's not consistent with a walk with Christ. That's not consistent in the lifestyle of Christ. And you say again, that's not our issue for today. And I understand that. But in the places that you go and the things that you do, are you being consistent in your walk with Christ? It's not a matter of, do I have the right to do that? No, it's, am I pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this choice going to be consistent with the fact that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior? And so in verses 14 through 22, Paul told them, you need to stay away. From anything that might imply a fellowship with unbelievers, with idolatry specifically here. And and for us, anything, stay away from anything that that is worldly. That is going to draw us into a a lifestyle that is is, uh, similar to the lifestyle of the world. So this morning, in the passage before us, having already given this definite prohibition, stay out of the idol's temple. He returns to questionable areas of eating meat when you don't know whether or not it's been offered to an idol. Now, again, don't get lost in that question. Let's apply it to the things that have meaning to us today. It's not really, can I do this? It's, is this going to be consistent with my profession of Christ as my Savior? And so let's get into that this morning. He begins with a principle. Paul is, is, we need to understand this. Paul is not just making rules for us. This is not just regulations. We understand, and we need to understand, Christianity is not a legalistic rule-setting thing. You know, some of us maybe grew up in a legalistic uh, environment. That's not what Christ is all about. That's not what the church should be all about. We, we, we do not have a list of rules and regulations that, you know, don't do this, don't do that. And because of that, you're going to be godly. Yes, there are things like the Ten Commandments. Yes, there are things that God has specifically said yes or no to. But that the, the principles that govern our everyday conduct, we ought to be living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's not just making rules for us here. He wants to make a principle that we can apply to our life. And the principle is twofold. There are two parts to the principle I want you to see today. The first principle is the principle of Christian liberty. That in Christ, we have been set free. Look at verse 23. All things are lawful for me. In other words, I'm not going to break the the law, uh, not the the law of the world. I'm not going to break God's law by eating meat, by doing X. By doing this, all things are lawful for me. But notice the verse doesn't end. But not all things are profitable or helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. And what he's saying here is this. Yes, you have liberty to eat meat, even meat that has been offered to idols. There are no dietary laws, if you will, in the Christian life. We are not under the law. Yes, you can do that, all right? You have liberty, and it may be the same thing you're you're thinking about in your own mind. Do I have the liberty to do this? You may have the liberty to do that. Now, of course, he's not talking about sinful things, and so while we have liberty in Christ, there are other things that need to be considered, And, and our liberty must have some limitations. There there are some limits to the the liberty that I have. And the two limits are found in this verse. Number one, is it helpful? The first limit is found in the word helpful. Or maybe your Bible says profitable. Or expedient, I think, is the old King James word. It's not just, is it allowable? Can I do that? But is it profitable? In other words, is it going to help me in my walk with Christ? Is it going to grow me in my walk with the Lord? Will it help me to develop a more consistent walk with Christ? Because, folks, I'm just going to be honest with you. I know in my own life and I know in the life of many Christians, this area of Christian liberty, a lot of times we're just using it to try to get as close to the world as possible. And Paul says you might be okay doing that, but is it going to grow you? Is it really helpful for you in your Christian life. That takes us back to the illustration in chapter 9 of the athlete, where, remember, in chapter 9, Paul says the athlete puts aside that which is good to strive for that which is best. I am willing to to set aside, you know, my desserts, and I'm willing to set aside my this and my that because I want to win the prize. I want to get myself in shape. I want to train. I want to discipline myself. Yeah, I can have that piece of cake. Mm, That tastes good right now. But it's not going to help me win the prize. And and so Paul says in the Christian life, we need to learn to discern what is best for us. We need to choose that which is profitable. I might be allowed. It, It might be. Legal, if you will. But is it helpful? Am I really going to grow? Is this something that's really going to be profitable for me in my walk with the the Lord? And I need to choose that which is best. Folks, don't settle for that which is good. Strive for that which is best. Strive for what is best in in the cause of Christ. So the first limit. Is is it helpful? Is it profitable? Look at the second limit, and, and that is wrapped up in the word edify. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. The word edify means to build up, to encourage, to strengthen. And so the real issue here is not is it allowable. It may be allowable. Is it profitable? Will it build me up? Will it accomplish some constructive purpose in my life? Is this issue that I want to do, is this thought on Christian liberty going to build me up in my walk with Christ? And is it going to help those around me? Is it going to build up others around me for the cause of Christ? If, if I get involved in this activity, if I get involved in this liberty, is it going to be helpful for me? Is it going to be profitable for me? And is it going to encourage others in the faith as well? See, that's the principle of Christian liberty. A liberty which is exercised for the consideration uh, of what is best for me and really what is best for the cause of Christ. Not really what is best for me, what is best for the cause of Christ. Because everything in my life ought to be pointing toward that. What is best for the cause of Christ? And so the first principle that we live by is the principle of Christian liberty with the limits. Is it helpful? And does it edify? And as you think about that activity, as you think about that freedom, as you think about that liberty, that you're thinking about exercising, do I have the right to do that? Well, let me ask you the question. You may have the right to do it, but is it going to help you? Is it going to be profitable to you in your walk with the Lord? And is it going to edify you and other people around you if you get involved in that activity? The second principle is the principle of Christian love. And we see that in verse 24. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. I may have liberty, and we live by the principle of Christian liberty, but we also have to remember this. Paul's been saying this since chapter 8. Balance liberty with what? Love. We have to balance liberty with love. Here's our example. Christ came in love. We've even been singing about that today, right? And Christ loves us. Remember what the gospel said. Christ loved us so much that he came not to be ministered unto But to minister. Now, he's the very Son of God. He's the King of creation. He's the Lord of Lords. When he came down to this earth, he had every right for the world to do what? Minister to him. He had every right to say to the world around him, You need to do this for me. But instead, Christ came in humility. And Christ did not come to be ministered unto. He came to minister to the point where what he did what? He gave his life for us. And so Christian love becomes a principle. And those who are followers of Christ do not make their primary concern, what is good for me? That cannot be my primary concern. Instead, my primary concern should be, how is this going to impact other people? Boy, does that go against our culture? What does our culture say today? It's all about me. And in case you didn't know, it's all about me. Right? I don't know, but see, in your world, it's all about you. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You got the wrong, you got the wrong philosophy of life. It has to be, you know, don't look out what is best for me. We need to look out for other people. How is this going? How is my behavior? What am I doing? How will that impact other people? Because we're one body. The, The church is one. We have to look out for the love of one another. We have to look out for each other. We have to be concerned with what my behavior does to somebody else. And, and so the principle of Christian love is a commitment to the well-being of other people. Looking beyond myself. Looking beyond me. Boy, that's, again, that's hard. We are just ingrained to look out for number one, me. We are just ingrained to look out for what is best for me. And Paul says, yes, we have the principle of Christian liberty, With those two limits, you know, is it profitable and will it edify? And we have to add to that the principle of Christian love. How's this going to impact other people? Stop being so self-centered. Stop being so self-gratifying. It's not all about you, Paul says. How is my liberty going to affect other people? And he balances again liberty and love. That's the the principle he lays down for us. Well, then he moves into the practical application. How do those two principles apply to the issue of eating meat that has been offered to idols? How do those two principles uh, apply to the issue that, that is in your life today? How do those two principles apply when it comes to Christian liberty? Well, first, and again, Paul is going to address the specific issue of eating meat offered to idols. So again, don't get lost in that. But Paul has some important things for us to say that we can apply to our own lives. First of all, he addresses the issue about eating meat that uh, you bought at the market. What if that meat has been offered to an idol? Remember, I told you there were three ways the Corinthians could come in contact with meat that had been offered to idols. One was actually in an idol's temple. And he talked about that in verses 14 through 22. Meat that had been offered to the idol right there in the idol's temple. And this was a religious feast. And we're going to go there and, and eat. And some of the Corinthians thought they had enough strength to do that. And Paul says, that's foolishness second way they could come in contact with meat offered to idols was in the marketplace you go to walmart you go to martins and you buy you know you load up your cart with with a big old steak and a hamburger and this, and and the question is what if that meat had been offered to idols And the third way, and we're going to see that here in a minute, is if an unsaved friend invites you to their house for dinner and they serve, you know, we grill out on the grill, but they had taken that meat unbeknownst to you and they had offered to an idol. Can I eat that meat? And the first thing he talks about is the meat that you buy in the marketplace. What if that meat has been offered to an idol? And notice what he says in verse 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, and don't do what? Don't ask questions for the sake of conscience. Christian liberty allows you to buy what is sold in the marketplace. And Paul says, don't ask a lot of questions. Take the meat as part of the Lord's provision. That's what verse 26 is. It's a quotation of Psalm 24, where the psalmist says, you know, the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. We have the right to partake of what God has given to us. The meat that you're buying in the marketplace, Paul says, isn't really associated with idolatry when it's sold in the marketplace. Yes, that person may have took it and and offered it to an idol, but it's now on the shelf in the marketplace. And he quotes Psalm 24, verse 1, to say that we should be thankful for God's provision and we should feel free to eat. You know, don't ask questions. Then he addresses the question about meat that is served in the home of an unsaved friend. Uh, You've been invited to dinner at the home of an unsaved friend, and uh, they are serving you, you know, whatever. They are serving you a nice old big piece of meat. Do I have the right to eat that? Look at verse 27. If any of those who do not believe, if an unsaved friend invites you to dinner and you desire to go, you have the liberty to go. Eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. Again, Christian liberty allows you to go to dinner with an unsafe friend. Of course it does. It allows me to accept a dinner invitation from an unsafe friend. And if I accept that invitation, Paul says, don't ask a bunch of questions about the food. Boy, my mother liked that one. Just sit there and eat it. Don't ask questions. You know, I don't think, I don't think that's the verse here that she's thinking about but, you know, those, and I think the idea is this. If you can't do that, if you can't go to dinner with a, with, at a friend's house without asking a bunch of questions, if, you, if your scruples are that strong that you can't do that, then you probably shouldn't what? Probably shouldn't go. I mean, save yourself and them the problems. Don't accept the invitation. If it's going to bother your conscience, what have we seen? If it's going to bother your conscience, then don't go. But you have the liberty to go or to not go. And if you go, eat what is provided without asking a lot of questions. Now, look at verse 28. But, ah, oh, here's the question. If anyone says to you, in other words, if your host says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. However, Paul says, if your host or another dinner guest makes a point of telling you that the food that you're eating has been offered to idols, at that point, Paul says what? Stop eating. Don't eat of it. Because now it becomes a matter of conscience. You can go. You can eat freely. Don't ask a bunch of questions. However, if your host makes a point to tell you, hey, by the way, I offered that to my, my idol uh, this morning. I, and, you know, I, I just really excited about my relationship with my idol. And I offered that meat to my idol this morning. Paul says at that point you say, I'm sorry, I can't eat that. Is there any difference in the meat? The, the meat's the same. There's no difference in the meat. But now it has become a matter of conscience. And that it is at a point of conscience is very clear because the issue would not have been raised if the person didn't consider it potentially wrong or at least questionable for a Christian to do that. You ever been there? I remember the the old scrapyard days. You know, the boys would watch me very closely to see if I was going to step out of line in any way. You know, if I was going to get involved in any questionable activity and they were going to jump on it. In fact, I remember one morning that I came to work and one of the guys came up and said, I saw you coming out of the drive through beer place last night. Pretty sure I wasn't there. He said, no, I saw your car. And then it hit me. On my way home, we didn't have cell phones back in those days. We didn't have cell phones. And there was actually these things called pay phones. Remember those? Well, There was a phone booth in the parking lot of this place. And I stopped. I think I had to call Loanne about something. I had to call somebody. And I stopped and made a phone call. And so then I was pulling out. It looked like I was pulling out from there, you know, but he was quick to jump on. I saw you and clearly the indication was what? It's not wrong for me. I don't care. But for you as a Christian, you shouldn't have been there. And so if the person goes out of his way to tell you that, to make it a matter of conscience, If it's something that they think, that that other person thinks is questionable for a Christian to do, out of deference to conscience and not wanting to offend somebody or hinder your own testimony, Paul says it's better not to eat. It's better not to be involved in whatever the activity is. You see, here is the principle of Christian love. And look at verses 29 and 30. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other person. And then he says this, why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? Christian love supersedes Christian liberty. Boy, we don't want to hear that, do we? I have that right. No, Paul says Christian love, look out for somebody else. That supersedes Christian liberty. The phrase at the end of verse 29, why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? Don't read it that way. You know, it's not a question of right. I don't think Paul is saying, why is my liberty being, being a matter of somebody? No, why should my liberty? I, th- I think what he's really saying is, why should my liberty be judged by another man's conscience? It's not a question of, of right or wrong. It's a question of purpose. Paul is not questioning the right of another person to judge my liberty. He's questioning what purpose would be seen in my exercising my liberty if it's going to offend. If this person went out of their way to tell me that meat had been offered to an idol, why would I want to eat of it then? Because it's just going to offend or it's just going to hinder my testament. There is nothing good that is going to be gained by my forcing my Christian liberty at the expense of someone else's conscience. There's nothing profitable in that. There's nothing edifying in that. All I have done is I've allowed my liberty to be condemned by somebody else's conscience. How does that help me? How does that help him? And more importantly, how does that help the cause of Christ? Why exercise my liberty in that case? What purpose, Paul says, what purpose is going to be served? And and then he takes it a step further in verse 30. But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I gave thanks? Paul goes even further here. He says, in my liberty, I was partaking of this food and I had said grace for it, right? I had said thanks. I had said, thank you, Lord, for this food. And again, he quotes Psalm 24 there. And and he had given thanksgiving unto God for his provision because there's nothing wrong with the food. But now that it's been made a point of conscience, oh, by the way, that's been offered to idols. No good can come from eating it. And so now that which I have given thanks to God for becomes a matter of blasphemy or evil speaking. My good, my testimony is now being evil spoken of. What I gave thanks for initially. Ended up being a cause for my testimony to be hindered and the cause of Christ to be evil spoken of because I went ahead and ate after that person said, by the way, you know, that was off to an idol. What good purpose, Paul says, is served in exercising my liberty in such a case? It's just not worth it. But I have that right. I have the right to do this. I have the right to do Yes. But it's not worth it. If your testimony is going to be hindered, if the cause of Christ is going to be hurt, if it's going to hinder another brother, if it's going to hinder an unsaved person from hearing the gospel, what purpose is there in exercising my right? Practical application. He moves on then to give us a philosophy of life. And here's our very familiar verses. These two principles come together to give us a great practical application. And they then also come together to form a philosophy. A philosophy that covers every area of your life and my life. My whole life needs to be governed by this philosophy. Remember, the issue for us is not eating meat off the idols. Whatever it is that you're willing to do or wanting to do or desiring to do needs to be seen in this philosophy. Two things. First of all, verse 31. Do all to the glory of God. Therefore, because of all that I've said, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I need to evaluate everything in my life in light of that, God's glory. I mean, have you thought about that? How will what I am doing now, today, at this moment, how will what I want to do affect the glory of God and the cause of Christ? You see, folks, to exercise my Christian liberty at the expense of the glory of God simply indicates that my love for Christ is not that first love that he wants. Right. What what did you know, you need to love Christ so much that that, you know, I fade into the background. The things that I want to do fade into the background. I want to please Christ to exercise my liberty at the expense of God's glory indicates I don't love him as much as I say I do. You see, it's not a matter of what I want to do. It's not even a matter of what I have the right to do. That's my right. The matter is how is what I'm going to do, how is what I want to do going to affect the glory of God? Will someone speak Ill of my liberty of what I've done. And and by speaking ill of that, in effect, bring reproach on the cause of Christ. Remember, this is not just someone saying, I don't think you have a right to do that. You know, that's judging. He's talking about it really is impacting someone else. It's hindering the cause of Christ. It's hindering your testimony. Because you're involved in that activity. First philosophy of life, do all to the glory of God. Look at the second one. The second philosophy comes in verse 33, uh, verse 32, excuse me. Give no offense. Either to the Jews or to the Gentiles or to the church of God. If God's glory is put first, then I need to be careful not to cause anyone to stumble. And I think when he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and then separating that from the, the church of Christ, he's talking about whether they're saved, whether they're, I mean, excuse me, whether they're unsaved Jews, whether they're unsaved Gentiles, it really doesn't matter. They're unsaved. So, so don't put a stumbling block in front of the unsaved world for the cause of Christ. And don't get put a stumbling block in, in front of believers, the, the church of, of God. We must not be the cause of anyone stumbling. Whether that person is saved or not saved because the glory of God is at stake. Is what I want to do, is what I think I have the liberty to do going to bring glory to God? And is it going to give an offense to another believer and hinder their walk with Christ? Not just another believer who says, I don't think you should do that. No, hindering their walk with Christ. Or to an unsaved person who says, wow, I thought that person was a Christian. If that's what a Christian does, he's no different than me. Why, why do I want to get saved? A philosophy of life. And in the last two verses, Paul says, let me give you a pattern to copy. Having given us this philosophy, Paul now urges us to adopt this philosophy for our life, even as he adopted it for his. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit. We've already talked about that. That's not doing everything just that the world's doing just to to be all things to all people. No, he's talking about for the glory of God. Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Paul says, this is my philosophy of life. I want to do all to the glory of God. I don't want to bring a offense because I want to see the cause of Christ furthered. I want to see people come to know the Lord. I want to see people walk consistently with the Lord. And he then indicates, this, I'm not the author of this philosophy. I'm simply just a disciple of Christ. This philosophy is the philosophy of Christ. Remember, we started Christ lived not for himself, not for his own profit, but rather to minister to other people, to see them served, to see them built up so that ultimately God would be glorified. And that then has become Paul's philosophy of life. And he ends in verse 1 of chapter 11 by that other very familiar verse, imitate me then, just as I also imitate Christ. Follow me. I, I, Paul is saying here to, to you and I, follow me and adopt this as your philosophy of life, as I follow Christ. I'm following his philosophy of life, Paul says. You follow me as I follow him. You know, just to wrap this all up, I think the application is, for us is very clear, Folks. We were talking about this a little bit Wednesday night. But as a believer, I cannot participate in the godless activities of the world without being identified with them, without becoming one with the rest of the people who are doing what, whatever it is we're doing. When I go to the parties of the world and the places the world likes to go and the things of the world, I am identifying with the world. I'm identifying with what's going on there, even if I'm not doing it. And I'm fellowshipping with those who are involved. And I think that's Paul's point. Yes, you have the liberty. You have liberty. But if your liberty takes you out to the places where the world is communing with its own system, which is run by Satan then you're becoming part of that whole fellowship, if you will. And that is hopelessly inconsistent for a believer. It just doesn't make sense for a believer to get involved in those kind of things. Yeah, I have the liberty, but what point is it? It's not bringing any glory to God. It's not building up the cause of Christ. When we participate in the world's activity. You know, here, here we are Christians. We've gathered together in fellowship together, and then we're going to go out from here and fellowship with things that have nothing to do with God. Oh, we have to live in the world. We understand that. But we don't have to be in the world, right? Of the world. It's inconsistent. You may have liberty, Paul said. But what's more important? Is the glory of God. What's more important is the is the cause of Christ. You know, for those of us who are believers, be careful of how you're living. Sin is always sin. And don't try to hide behind Christian liberties to you know to be living in sin. To be living in immorality. To be living in drunkenness, to be living in all of that, that's sin. That's not Christian liberty. But the Christian liberty area, Paul says, it's also something we have to be really careful about. Yeah, we have liberty. But is what I'm going to do going to bring glory to God? And if I am gathering together in fellowship with other believers and then leaving here, what did you do last night? Friday night, were those things consistent with what a believer ought to be doing? Maybe you had the liberty to do whatever it is, but did it bring glory to God? Because that's what we need to be doing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful relationship we have with you through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives within each one of us and guides us and directs us. And, Lord, I just pray for us as a church when it comes to the area of questionable things. Lord, we don't want to be legalistic at all. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. But help us to be careful. Help us to be careful that we are walking in a way that is consistent with the lifestyle of a Christian. That we are bringing glory to God in our lives. And that we are not offending those around us, whether they are believers or unbelievers. Lord, may we walk with you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on our church located in Cumberland, Maryland, please go to cumberlandcornerstone.org.